Possession Intention member story with Jenea G. Jenea, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I love that I just pretended like this is a lively show episode as I said that. Okay, let's start by telling us a little bit about yourself. So I'm about to be 43. I am a mom of three. I I have a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, and an 8-year-old. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota with my husband and my kids, and I am a serial small space entrepreneur, kind of. I have started several different kind of creative-based companies that sort of flex and move with my life. I kind of come in and come out of them. But currently, I've been doing really part-time freelance interior design work for about six years now. Awesome. And what's your favorite thing about Life with Intention Online so far? Oh, I so many things. One is that I clearly needed intentions. I needed to identify what those uppercase V values were. I had so many people chatty in my ear, I guess is the way to word it. Mom, friends, professor. I mean, like so many noises in my head that it. I needed to find what my noise was and what my kind of internal compass was. I've always felt really confident. And so I just kind of moved forward in the world. But I realized that there were things that I really wanted, but didn't know how to go about getting them because they seemed like a departure from me. But really, what, what a lot of it is, is pushback from, you know, other voices in my head. So I needed to crowd them out and find what mine was. Isn't it funny that the ego can kind of sound like your mom? Yeah. Oh my God, like completely. My mom, my husband, my dad, my, you know, friends, my professors, people that affected me when I was a kid. I mean, it's crazy how many voices actually, you know, short of sounding like I have multiple personality disorder, so many voices that existed in my head that I always have felt really strong with my own intuition. Like I've always trusted it. I've always followed it. But when it came to how I wanted to live my life and that being purposeful, it seemed to get really quiet and I couldn't get rid of the other noise and still struggle. I I think I always will, but now I'm getting better at figuring out when that is me talking to me and when that is something else talking to me or someone else talking to me. Well, that's fantastic. That's a good takeaway. And you're actually, this is your, you say it's your two and a half times in the class. Yes. My two and a half times in the class. I did it full on fully engaged last fall. So fall 2015 tried to come back into it in February, but just found that I don't think I was ready to revisit everything. And so I kind of took what I wanted to left what I didn't participated a little bit, kind of like life with intention online light is sort of what I did. And then this fall was really ready to go back into it and see, I knew things had shifted and evolved. And I needed to revisit it with more fervor, I think, and really kind of dig into it and see if I could go deeper in things that weren't changing. And or let go of things that needed to, or shift and modify and evolve the intentions that I had. Okay, so today we're gonna talk about your possession intention. And when it comes to your possessions, is it your intention for your entire, you know, everything you own, or just a subset of what you own? What are we focusing on today? So today we are focusing on literally my wardrobe. And that was an interesting process to come to because I had had a possession intention that was sort of all of my possessions, which still feels really great and comfortable. But then I realized that the area that I wasn't following through 
was in particular my wardrobe and that I had a ton of resistance around that. The rest of my possessions all kind of already fit in there. So I think I masked what needed to be worked on with a previous intention kind of being a bit more open-ended, but it's really specifically my wardrobe. Okay. So let's start with your step one, your optimal vision. What is the intention itself right now? So my intention is to have a functional and considered wardrobe that makes me feel effortless and me. Okay. So what are the values if we're going to pull out the individual values from that statement? Yep. The values are functional, considered, effortless, and then I have me as a value. So what do each of those, if you could say like really quickly, like one sentence for each, what do they mean to you? So what they mean to me is actually part of where my resistance comes out. So this is interesting. So functional is the fact that I currently have a lifestyle that is very different than my lifestyle has always been. And so I have a wardrobe full of beautiful clothes that no longer suit the life that I currently lead. So functional is really what I need. I need clothes that function for what I do and how I live and where I live right now. Living in Minneapolis, it's super casual. So I don't need some of the clothes that I needed before. I have a horse, so I literally ride a couple times a week and I work out a couple times a week and I literally could almost go to a client meeting in those clothes. So I need to focus on the function, not on my imaginary life that I may or may not lead again someday. (laughs) Then considered is that I love clothes. I love thinking about clothes. I love touching them. I worked in retail for a long time. I love everything about them and I love style and having something that I really feel is that. So that's where the considered comes in is I don't want it to feel like I just threw things together. Like I really want to feel like I've considered what I have quality wise, ethically fit everything. Then effortless is really the point of everything. I need to just set it and forget it. Just be able to to go in and know that I can throw it on and feel like I'm pulled together, but it really did not take as much effort. And then me is the real value is that me currently, like who I am. I drifted away after having kids, which I think a lot of moms tend to do. I I realize now I had a really, really good sense of my own internal style when I was 16, 17. And I drifted away from that kind of as a mom thinking I needed to look a certain way or I I don't know, just, and I, I got away from really, truly who I am as an aesthetic, really, like what I like to to look like, how I feel great. And so I want to get back and make sure that anything I'm buying really feels like me. Like it's the thing where my best friend would be like, oh, I love you in that dress. I'm so happy you wore it again and again and again and again. You said there's stuff going on in this one. So where is it sticking for you? Where's it feeling itchy? So a couple things that are sticking in itchy. One is that I'm really trying to make peace with the fact that I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel comfortable dressing the way I picture in my head because it really doesn't suit my lifestyle. I can't do the things that that are important to me dressed in these, you know, really beautiful, elegant, stylish clothes. It's just not practical for me, given my current circumstances where I am right now. So that part is itchy. It's sort of a letting go of, but yet I have spent a lot of money kind of cultivating the wardrobe I have. So it's letting go of things that I need to let go of or putting them away and saying, yeah, if I travel, sure, I'll pull those things out. But on a day-to-day basis, they don't need to be in front of my vision because they stress me out. They make me think that like, I literally feel bad for the clothes that they're never getting worn. (laughs) Like like they're, they're beautiful and I feel bad. Then the other portion of it is that I was in a horseback riding accident two and a half years ago. And 
now I have a pretty bad limp that I'm working through. But because of that, I have put on 10 pounds. And I know to some people, that's not a lot to me, it is. And I don't fit in probably 85% of the clothes that I own. I have dropped the weight six separate times over the last two years, but I put it right back on because I can't be as physically active as I used to be. And being 40 something, I used to be able to just like, oh, run a couple extra miles or, you know, and you could knock it off. And that's just not going to happen anymore. So part of it is that it's that I really don't fit in the clothes, don't really want to buy anything new because I do want to lose the weight. I feel better when I'm a little bit lighter, the pressure on my ankles a little bit better. So it's really tangled and tricky. So I generally end up in a pile of clothes on the floor of my closet, sort of paralyzed in procrastinationville. Yeah, I put on 20 pounds in college during my binge eating days as I was dealing with some difficult things there. And it totally sucked to go in that wardrobe and realize that my stuff does not fit me. And I didn't feel good in like more than like one or two things, which I was going for every time. And like you said, I totally know what it feels like to be staring at these clothes that kind of almost seem against you, sort of, if that makes sense. I don't, I know that they're, they're neutral. They, you know, might even be positive towards me, but I, it feels against you if you can't wear them and they don't look good in them. So I totally understand And have like so much empathy for what you're facing when you open that door every day. How would it feel if you Michelangelo'd this pretty hard and you peeled away the layers that were not you right now and put all the things that especially, especially the things that don't fit and just put them somewhere else outside of that closet? So it's perfect that you actually just said that because I have realized that one of the ladders that I just sort of came up with the other day as sitting on the floor of my closet trying to shift because we clearly have four distinct seasons here. So there's a lot of clothes shifting. So I'm not living in a place where my wardrobe is all the time, kind of like where you were in Michigan, there's four clear seasons and don't want to drag out the heavy winter sweaters until it's really time because otherwise I'll be sick by the end of the winter. So for me, though, one of the things I realized is that I think one of the ladders that's going to work is to literally have a series of quotes that I print off and hang on the wall of my closet. One of which that I keep going back to is that which wasn't David, that comment that Michelangelo said, like, I just removed that which wasn't David. And so that's what I was doing and have been working through the last two weeks is kind of my timeline for this to really dig in and get and work on this intention. And that's the one that I keep going back to. So I have been removing and I need to go back up and kind of, you know, remove a little bit more. There has definitely always been a fear of not having enough choices. But when I really think back to when I loved getting dressed and I loved my wardrobe, I had no money. And so I was broke and I had a few things that I loved. And so I keep trying to remind myself of that. There was also a quote about elegance was in a book about the difference between I think French women and English women or something like that. And it was a quote about how a French woman, you know, even though she's got no money will have just such much better quality clothes, but they will wear them again and again and again. I want to be a repeat wearer. And I'm not I'm kind of constantly craving looking different. That has more to do with my weight issue and me trying to sort of make myself look different versus loving something so hard that I'm like, Oh, yeah, I'm wearing this day three day four, I'll do it with my hair. It's funny because I I tend to like do my hair one way and I literally don't change it for a week. Like I'll sleep on it, leave it, like whatever. I've had a harder time applying that to my clothes, but I want to. I, I want to just really love it. One thing I think was really interesting that you just said is I want to look different. And really there's like two levels of that. Like right now what you're 
able to do is change your clothes every day. But what you deeply want is to look different in terms of your body not having the weight that it's been put on. This is just the way you can express that difference, but it's really not the root beneath it, right? Right. So this is why it's not actually fulfilling because it's really just a symptom, not the root cause. Thank you, by the way, for being so open about all of this. I think so many people are going to resonate with this. So that's the intention. And now we kind of know what's going on with where it feels sticky. Now, as far as the values themselves, do any of those feel sticky to you at all? One of the things I find interesting is you like considered, which is I like thinking about clothes. And then the next value is I don't want to think about my clothes being effortless. Well, I think what it is, is I want to consider them. It's the kind of the same way I feel like when I furnish a house, either for myself or for a client. Like I always tell my clients, I'm like, I would rather leave something empty until you fall in love with something and you feel like you can't walk away from it. And I can apply that. And that's the way my home is. And then when it's time, when something is worn out and we've loved it enough, we say literally like even before the sparking joy thing, I'm like, I thank it. And then I karma, I move it on. Like I'm really good about that. But yet the things that I love that I own in my house, my actual possessions, my, whether it's a sofa, a chair or anything, interior design wise, I literally, if we lost them in a fire, I would not, I don't care about the shell of my house. It's the things because I have really thought about them, collected them and then have loved them and cared for them. But they make my life super easy. The fact that I have a very all white aesthetic. And everyone is like, how do you have all white furniture with three kids? I'm like, well, look close. It's all dirty, number one, but it's all slip covered. So like my beautiful wing chair that I got on a great deal that I found this amazing fabric had a slip cover made that's the considered piece. The effortless is that it's a slip cover. I chuck it in the washing machine, put it back on. And it looks brand new. There's a lot of upfront thought and then there's no thought day to day. Yes. And then there is no thought day to day because I have zero time to think about this and I'm wasting, I'm spending, honestly, it's ridiculous how much time I'm spending on online shopping websites, on blogs, on social media, on capsule wardrobe things on like, I'm literally wasting time thinking about this. And that's the part that's frustrating to me because I don't want, that's not where I want to spend my time. Okay. So what's your timeline for this action period that we're focusing on? So this is the current two weeks. So I have given myself a two week deadline to bust through some of these walls that I've got. (laughs) Okay. All right. And then what are the actions you want to do as far as the doing level of success mountain? So the first one is to complete the curated closet process, which I don't know if you, I think you might be familiar with Anushka Reese. She does the blog Into Mind. She's sort of one of the first capsule wardrobe kind of people. I've followed her. She released a new book just recently, like a month ago called The Curated Closet. And it is really a step-by-step process on kind of finding this. And she focuses really heavily, which I love, on your current lifestyle, like really getting realistic about what your lifestyle is. And how often you're willing to repeat things or do laundry. So I've been going through her process and I'm almost through that book. Now I'm down to the final removal and starting to really get in the closet and play. The last step is to actually get in the closet and become your own stylist and play with what you have left and make a considered shopping list for what you have holes for. So that's part of it. The second is to create a real laundry care routine. I have not, in the busyness of my life, don't feel like I'm actually caring for the things that I have as well as I would like to. And I want to actually find a way to get some joy out of that because it's important to me. It's not, I mean, doing laundry is not something I love to do. It's not one of those chores. So I need to find a way to create a routine around that so it actually becomes enjoyable. My laundry room is actually a really pretty place to go to. 
we renovated that. And so it's nice. And now I kind of want to get to the point where I'm thinking about it. You know, it's that I've got great cashmere sweaters. I I've had them for a long time. I want them to last another 10 years. So I need to get into the care. Same thing with shoes and boots. Like nothing is disposable anymore. We used to live a life where we had more disposable income and we made a lifestyle choice moving here to Minneapolis. And that disposable income is not what it was. So I could never afford to replace some of the things that I currently own that I do love. And so I need to get into that care, but I find no joy in laundry. Wait, wait, let's do one little thing there. You technically have a house, three kids. You could afford it. You're choosing not to. It's just a little bit more um, empowering to say you're choosing not to spend your disposable income that way. You could. You're choosing not to because you'd rather pay for your mortgage instead of cashmere sweaters. And I just is like a little thing. So it's like a choice. It's more empowering. Like you're choosing to really care for these things because you want to make them last. So you have the opportunity to do other things in your life with the finances you have. You're right. And actually, it's funny that you just said that. So that trips a wire with me, which is really interesting. So like I said, my background is in retail and I love and have loved clothing since I was a young child. And just saying that, like my face flushed when you just said that, because it's like, no, I don't want to not spend the money. Like I want to spend the money. So I have a huge block. Like it literally, it's, I feel like I can't, I would, if it was just me, I would choose to spend the money, but it's not just me. It's me and my husband and my three kids and all the things that we're trying to do. So like, it was funny just when you said that, I'm like, literally my whole face flushed. It's like, no, I want to spend the money, but I shouldn't spend the money because that's not going to work for my family. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at that. Let's like look there because this is again, we're just kind of ironing out, we're massaging out the wrinkles here. So, all right, it's a choice. You have new values, you have new circumstances in your life than when you were younger and maybe doing the retail without the same considerations and values, right? This is really still coming down to values. It is coming down to values. And part of it is that so in my early 20s, when I didn't have much money, but I was single. I very much considered every purchase I made. But when I found something that I loved, I went for it, it regardless of the price. And it was, I mean, I wasn't regardless of it. I mean, I worked at a store so I could get the discount so I could get, but still it was very considered and I bought very few things, but what I bought, I really loved. And that's the place that I want to get back to because that felt good, but yet it felt manageable within what my constraints were, which you know then was that I barely made any money now is that we have a life that we're trying to lead in a certain way. And there are other things that are more important. So I think that's what I'm, I'm actually trying to get back to that place where I was in a really good spot in there in my early 20s, where I know most of my friends were like, blowing their budgets, like overcharging on their credit cards, you know, going into debt over this thing. I didn't, but I was really, really, like I called over, I had the time to call through magazines, Obviously, social media at that point didn't exist in the literally, I mean, I wasn't even online, like I had AOL, you know, so like that didn't exist. So I but I poured over fashion magazines. And I would think, you know, each season, like, what are the three things that I really, really want, and that would really make a difference in my day to day life. And I really took that time to kind of consider that. And I want to get back to that. It's all the muddle along the way where I lost those values. Yeah. And you just shifted from need to want. So something else you had said was I can't and I need. And I was like, ding, ding, ding. Like there is something here that is disempowering you and taking away your choice unnecessarily. Right? Yeah. You have a choice to breathe in and out right now. You don't have to do that. You may die if you don't do it. So you may choose to do this. Even subconsciously, you're choosing to do this at every moment of the day, but it's still a choice. You could choose not to do it. 
This is the same with your finances. Or like you said, you could even choose to use credit card debt. I'm not saying you quote unquote should. I don't think we even need the should. It's just an option you're choosing not to do because your values don't align. But we just want to give you that empowered perspective that now what you've just said is so true. You would love to feel like you're able to make those considered purchases that you used to make in the past, given very similar constraints, ironically. Right. I think that's why the value, the intention that I have to have a functional and considered wardrobe that makes me feel effortless in me is really the way I felt in my late teens and early 20s and through college. Like this was like, I really felt that way. Like I loved the way everything I had, it really felt like I was representing me when I walked out in what I was wearing. And it was, it just was me. And it didn't matter to me what anybody else thought. I didn't care. It was me. It felt very much me. And that's what I'm trying to get back to in a way that obviously, you know, suits the current life that I lead. I obviously cannot wear beautiful cashmere pants to, you know, go out to the barn. Like that's not going to work. I've used over time, you know, mood boards and or Pinterest or vision boards and that kind of stuff to kind of pull together sort of my seasonal style. Like I've always done that and I've continued to do it. And I started to really look at it much more clearly through the eyes of this intention and realize that 80% of what was on there, I needed to cross off because it really truly wasn't functional for me. But then I went back in because I, I felt so horrible after like, crossing those things off or removing them. And I thought, no, I need to go back in and figure out what about that thing I love so I can find that thing that makes me love that outfit or whatever. Like what's the version of it that is practical for my life right now? Because it felt so horrible just removing these things. I'm like, no, it's beautiful. I don't want to take it away. Like I want that. Like that's the vibe I want to feel. It feels like me. Kind of like the whole cozy sweater thing. Like I feel that way when I see images of outfits and clothing and things like that. I have to translate it for what my life and circumstances are right now. Yeah, it's interesting as I'm even thinking about my own wardrobe as you're saying this, because I'm kind of reflecting on, okay, I have a carry-on suitcase of clothing for five months. <laughs> right, I keep thinking about that. So one of the things I was doing in the closet was if I was leaving for a month right now, what would I take? And I pulled all those things out to the other side of the room in the current season, just assuming that I'm going to one place and it's got the same season. And that was really enlightening because I'm almost to the point where I wanted to take everything I've got left. Like I've been really culling. And so the things that I have left, I really do love. And it's like, no, I want to wear this. I don't need two dresses. I wear a dress probably once a month. And that's only because I make myself wear these two dresses that I love. Well, so that's fine. I don't need it. You know, and it's that it's like, yes, I would take them on the trip. So I was thinking about you with the suitcase. I have two seasons. I'm going to Costa Rica and like Boston in December, like in Africa and Chicago. It's really bizarre. And basically, I just have three things for each location. <laughs> but what's interesting, here's the thing, though. I have no possessions anymore. Like really, I have a dining table and half a trunk load of boxes. Okay, I have one bag of clothes sitting back in Ann Arbor in uh, my friend's basement and a uh, carry-on suitcase of a few things, okay? So what I'm actually realizing is you keep saying, what is me, what is me, and all of these things you keep thinking about, and what keeps coming back to me having now given away everything, it doesn't mean my aesthetic has gone, but I think that I'm less tied to trying to define myself by my clothes or my stuff. Right, so I went through that I wrote to my intuition about all of that because I thought, am I trying to project who I want to be? I mean, it's kind of, which is, you know, who I, and I thought actually going back to thinking about the clothes is me. And that's the thing I lost along the way is that that is a huge piece of me. Not that I need to own 10 things or a hundred things, or whatever. It's that I have always, since I was literally probably eight or nine years old, 
this is so ingrained in me. And I fought in the last probably 10 years, eh, probably last five, really, since we shifted to a place where it's so much more casual here. Like it's just so much more casual than we were always in Chicago or in New York City. So those were completely different worlds as far as that's concerned. And so as I've done that, I thought, no, I'm judging the fact that I love looking at these things. And I had to figure out how to stop thinking that was a bad thing, like thinking that I was, you know, wasting my time. I'm like, I'm not. It gives me such pleasure and joy. I went to West Elm Sunday. It's about 20 minutes looking at things I do not own or will not own, right? I Because I do enjoy it. I'm just thinking... I'm not trying to take away the joy you have and the fulfillment you get or any of that. I'm not questioning that for a second about this. But I'm just wondering if there's a lot of ego's judgment on everything and every expression that you put on your, like every outfit being an expression of this huge identity, which is really just building and adding to Michelangelo versus revealing Michelangelo's David. Well, and I have a friend who is a stylist in Brooklyn and she said something once. She's like, the things that you own that are in your closet or in your house or whatever, she's like, they should all jump at you and be like, wear me, wear me, wear me. It should just be one of those things where you don't think about like, she's like, if when you get it right, it, it stops being a thought. And I thought that's the state that I'm really trying to get to. And I'm doing it with the whole rest of our house. I'm doing it with our like, I'm cleansing, simplifying, downsizing all of our areas, even as a family. I mean, you know, removing things from the kids schedule, like just trying to make things more simple and easy, because I really want to spend the time doing the things I love. And this is not right now, the thing I love. Maybe when my kids are older, I can start to spend a lot more time. But that's not what's the most important to me. My time is being taken up too much by this world. Yeah, it's like you're simplifying in every other area. And your ego is like, I always think of the ego like a dog. I think it was a dog with a favorite chew toy and it used to maybe be your home or it used to be some other aspect. And now it seems like it's chewing on your wardrobe pretty hard. Doesn't mean you still don't get like joy and fulfillment from considering and all of those things. But there's this stress about the fact that it's not perfect yet that seems to be more driven by the ego's identity of yourself in this place rather than I just love doing this and thinking about it. And I take every moment I can because I just get so much pure enjoyment from it. You know, if you love a television show and you're you dive through it in like three days, you know, we're not really thinking you're just so excited to get into it. You can't wait to make time for it where this doesn't seem like it has that energy for you. No, right now it's got a huge drawdown on it. And part of it is definitely, and I'm aware of this. And so I'm trying to kind of breathe through it. And this is one of the sort of things that will crop up. This is most definitely tied to the fact that since breaking my ankle, I can't ride my horse like I used to. And so I have noticed I'm spending way less time at the barn and I'm not getting as much joy out of it. That's something that I have been struggling with. And this is sort of like I channeled the time that I was spending that I used to spend, I mean, I literally could do anything to make time to get to the barn. Like it was just sort of, and now I'm wasting time doing this, kind of avoiding going out there. I have goosebumps all over my legs. They just are like pulsating through me. Like I feel like that's alignment. So what's really happening is your ego is just trying to compensate for something it's deeply sad about. Yeah. Here. And then my weight comes right off of that. It's the same. It's the exact same thing. Because I'm truly at a point where I am thinking about my physical body, because of the pain that I have from the injury, I literally am constantly aware of my body. Like it's not, sorry, I'm starting to cry. It is not something I can be unaware of. And so it's gotten really tricky. And so all of a sudden my attention has come back, like 
why I rode. I didn't start riding. I didn't start riding horses until just like six years ago. And I went all in, which is how I ended up breaking my ankle. But oh my God, there was nothing else that felt better. Like nothing that felt better than riding. And now I'm so aware of my body that now I'm always in my head about my body. I'm in my head about the pain. I'm in my head about the weight. I'm in my head about what I'm putting on my body. That's what this is all about. This is why this is not working. Oh, this is so good. This isn't about this. This is about horses and your love for horses. I'm going to start crying. Okay, so let's like, all right, guys, we've done a lot of other possession attention interviews you can listen to. So if you want to go through a typical interview to go through the whole four steps, go over there. This is the resistance. This whole intention has become the wall for you with your horse. Yep. Okay, so if that's what this is really all about, what are your values for horses and that part of your life? Well, so the whole horseback riding thing for me came from a true need within me to get past some phobias. So I had over the course of, you know, my adult life developed some pretty debilitating phobias. One was to flying and anxiety is just was through the roof. One was actually to horses and I'd been really terrified, afraid of them since I was a younger child. Not that I'd ever been in an accident or anything, but I'd had a couple bad, you know, whatever little pony party experiences. But my two closest friends, my two best friends grew up around horses. And so I just, I always thought it was so cool. And so after having three kids, my youngest was a year and a half old. And I needed at that point, I had not gone back to work again. And I was getting ready to, but I thought I need to kind of do some other things while I still have the time before I dive back into that work world. And I thought, well, I need to get some exercise because I need to start moving my body more. My anxiety is through the roof, which I get postpartum anxiety really severely. And so my anxiety was through the roof. So I thought I need to do something that will help me just kind of get out of my head. And then because I've already given birth three times, how bad could it be if I fall off a horse? <laughs> Let's do this and get over the phobia at the same time. And so that's where I started riding. And I found an amazing instructor who had the patience of a saint and became a dear, dear friend who really took it on herself to kind of get me over that hurdle. I thought if I go on a vacation with my husband and we have the opportunity to ride a horse on a beach, I don't want to say no out of panic and fear. I thought I need to at least get over that. So that was all I went into it with was let me just get over my fear. It took about a year and a half, but about two months in, I was a goner. I mean, like full throttle. It's all I wanted to do. Like I would do whatever I could to make time, bought a stroller that I could strap my little guy into and park him outside of the arena while I rode. It was like, I felt so good when I rode. I grew up in a place where my parents' attitudes were definitely, if you cannot be the best, don't bother. And so I really had become a quitter, but an early quitter, I would sort of predict whether I'd be good or not. And then quit ahead of time if I couldn't be the best, like that was the take. It was, you need to be the best. And that was all in this. And I thought, I'm not going to be the best. I'm literally just going to do this. And so a year and a half in, it took a year and a half before the panic attacks would stop as I drove up the barn driveway. But yet I would leave on such an adrenaline rush and a high that it was like, I'm like, bottle that up. Could I mean, you can't be in your head when you're riding. If you are, you're going to end up on the ground. You can't, you physically have to be engaged your brain has to be engaged, but yet at the same time, you have to completely relax. And it was such an oxymoron of all these things that I was struggling with that it just became my therapy. So it sounds like relaxed engagement is part of the values. Yeah, I mean, I think more than anything, it was this bravery that like, I, I was so proud of myself for facing and going right through this thing that scared the daylights out of me, like just scared me to death. 
and really was, I mean, it was pure joy. Like I, you know, I would walk out of there thinking, when can I do this again? All right. So let's look at it now. When can you do it again? Well, I do. I literally am leaving this interview to go ride. Okay. Part of it is I have a daughter who also rides and we have one horse. And so during the summer, she pretty much takes him because she shows him. So some of this is letting go of what I thought I was going to do. I'd made such progress and such strides that I was actually going to start doing it competitively when I fell and broke my ankle. And when I say broke my ankle, like I almost lost my foot. So it was really, really bad. And so I can't physically ride the way I used to ride. I'm actually a much better rider right now, only because I've had to learn how to truly ride, be really balanced and and all these like great things. But I'm not able to ride where I get the rush. And so it's that piece where I think, oh, that was so good. I was so engaged. My brain was working. My body was working. I couldn't think of anything else. Like that thing is what I'm chasing. I think I may or may never get that back. I don't know. Like that's, you know, I, I can't ride to the adrenaline junkie phase. Like that's where I, you know, I can't do that piece of it again. And so now I think I really just need to, to ride for the love of it. But when I get out there, the pain comes in, you know, I mean, I ride painfully, so it's tricky. It's the thing I want, but it physically hurts. So there's kind of here two avenues. We could see which one feels more like the cozy sweater. So one, you could obviously, you could continue as you're doing personally, just riding. And then the other option is like, let's go find something else that gives you that engagement, that full body engagement and full attention somewhere else. It's not at the barn, basically not with horses. So you could do that. Or you could say that was the introduction. That's what got me hooked on this world of of horses. And I want to engage in a new way. One of our other members in class, she was an actress and she still is acting, but then she's, as she's gotten older, started to take on directing roles and recognizing as she's getting older, what does acting in and of itself have to do in her life versus directing and being more of a new role for herself in the world of theater. So could this have been an opportunity and introduction to you to this world that then you can contribute in a new way through teaching or coaching or helping others get over their phobias? I mean, I feel like there's like seven different avenues that come to mind just from your story alone so far. What feels like the coziest sweater for you? Well, I think one of them is that a couple of things. One, there's no end date on this as a sport, which is the beauty of this sport. I mean, I ride with a group of women that are 15 to 20 years older than me and doing it. So there is this piece that I always go back to where I think, you know, I have no idea where I'm going to be in 20 years. I very well could be doing exactly what I want to be doing. Like that is fully within the realm of possibility. Like there is no expiration date on this. So part of it is me just removing the timeline that I had in my head and not only removing it, but not feeling like that was a loss, but feeling like this, that was an opportunity to actually be better in 10 years than I would have been had I gone at it right now. You know, that's part of it. Second is that I have actually been able to become a mom to a daughter who is now doing this. There's certainly been moments where it has come up that I've had to face the fact that I was almost saying no to her out of my own desire to do it. So I was almost stopping her and holding her back accidentally because I wanted it so badly for myself. And so I was able to put myself in check in a couple spots with that, which really was eye-opening. And so right now I'm being a mom. And then I did find something to kind of channel that into. There is, I've been practicing Kundalini yoga for a long time. But I found an instructor here and every time I take one of her classes, I feel that same thing. Like my brain's engaged, my body's engaged, I'm pushing through. There's such an element of perseverance that then like I feel incredibly intensely proud of myself at the end of every class. 
And so I'm starting to take more of those and I need to find the time to actually split those half and half and not judge the fact that I'm not at the barn four days a week anymore, that I can be at the barn two days a week and be at yoga two days a week. You know, it's like trying to like the, like you say, the trade-offs of, you know, there's only so much time something's going to have to trade. And I get that piece from this class, from this particular, this instructor. So I am starting to kind of follow her around because then I noticed that I, when I do that, I go to the barn and I'm in a much better, like I really do enjoy it then. Like I get out there and I enjoy it. I'm also taking fewer lessons right now because I can't make, really make progress and trying to find more opportunities just to ride, like just to go out in the field with friends and ride, you know, which is, is more of the pure joy. Cause a lot of it for me was social is that I really, really loved spending the time I did with the trainer that I had initially who spent, I mean, if I had a 30 minute lesson, she honestly spent two hours with me and we, that's how we became such great friends. So I'm trying to kind of seek out that sort of social aspect, which is what I kind of initially loved. Here's a question. So I'm not saying you should do this. I'm just going to throw it out there because to me, it just kind of seems to be begging the question. Would you ever want to pay this forward by being the coach or being the person that patiently helps anyone? I'm not sure if you'd have a focus, but I mean, maybe women or people that have the fears of the horses or any of that stuff. Does any of it feel like a calling to share your love of it and do it socially by being the coach? You know what? Honestly, I think I would love that, but I am in no way skilled enough to be able to to actually teach somebody else. So not right now. I could teach little kids, but that wouldn't. But I don't even know that I could teach that. Like I that. I don't have enough literal skill and knowledge to to kind of be in that position. But there's definitely a kind of teaching coaching thing in me that I find I do just sort of naturally. And the more I do that, I get, you know, enjoyment out of that, but not necessarily with the horses. I wish. Or could you organize a group? It sounds like you have a group of ladies that are already riding together, but you just said, I love the social interaction. Is there a way to make more opportunities for that in your life? Yeah, that's what I've, you know, have been focusing on, which is also what has led me to say, it's time right now for me to take a break from working as intensely as I have the last two years. I'm lucky enough that my income is just supplementary income. And so my husband is the primary. And so I've been able to kind of come in and out from a financial aspect. And so that's part of what has led me to the fact that I, after I wrap up with these clients, which is still six months out, but still when I wrap up with them, I need to take some time off because I want to go back out to the barn every day. Like I want to just start doing this every day because I just love it. Like it may, like if I drive out first thing in the morning and I come back, even if I've done nothing but walk around in a circle on him, I come back in a better state for the whole rest of the day. Like it really does so much for me. And I want to get back to that piece of it. Like, it's definitely the thing that I've realized is my importance. Like, it is the thing that I value for me. It's the one thing that is for me. I'm a better mom, better wife, more creative, better. I'm better at everything else I'm doing when I do that. And this is the power. This is why clothing's not that important to you anymore. I know. And I know that this is a block. Like, I, I knew that, you know, my weight, and I'm, I have for a while felt fairly confident the part of why I keep the weight keeps creeping back on every time I lose it is because it's going to keep creeping back on until I get through this mental state. It is mental. Yeah, it is totally because the mental is going to trigger the physical to follow. Yeah. And the mental piece of it goes so far back that it's one of those things where, you know, like I said, all the, the voices chirping in my head, those are hard to quiet down, particularly when sometimes they chirp out loud, like in the direct form of, you know, comments. So it's tricky you know, I'm by no means a big person. And so I am fairly slim. I was really, really skinny before. So we're not talking about a health issue weight problem. 
it's tricky though, because it triggers a lot of its identity. It's looking inward. And so as I was going through this, and it was like, what, you know, the what could prevent me from making the changes I seek and kind of talking about the resistance. So I have all of my own stories and the own things that are there with the resistance. But one of the biggest elements of resistance that I face, particularly in this realm is literal interaction with my mom. I adore my mom. I love my mom, but she and I can't necessarily be around each other too much. She is hypercritical of me. So as an example, like, you know, she'll come to visit and it's great. She's where she's around. And in passing, it's like, oh, wow, I've never seen you this heavy. Oh, you looked smaller after you came home from the hospital after having the baby. And it's like, yeah, no, sh- that's got to be hard. It is hard. And it's not. And I know that comes completely from the fact that my mom and women in her family put on a lot of weight as they age. And she is afraid that I'm going to do the same because it's made her so unhappy. Like I totally get where those comments are coming from, but they are still brutal when they hit. And they're, especially when they're delivered under the guise of kindness. She really truly is trying to help me not feel the way she feels. It's even hard to kind of call her out on it because she, she's really not trying, like she's not being manipulative about it. So it just, it goes into all of those various different little things. I can totally relate right now because I've got the cystic acne and dating is my mirror back to me. And it sucks. <laughs> it just sucks. Yeah, it, it does. You know, it's there. I just have a lot of empathy for you right now because this is something that I'm working through too. And trying to remember that this is just the vessel, right? I'm just consciousness poured into this vessel. And this vessel is ever changing and ever like it is not me. My consciousness is me. And at the same time, I want to care for this vessel as well as I can. But I also have to have empathy for the fact that this vessel is trying to sort itself out hormonally and all of those other things. I just have so much empathy for you. I don't have any solutions. I just have empathy for you. Yeah, it's interesting because it's one of those things where like just when you said that when it's just the vessel, I'm like, you know what it is. And the thing that I love about riding and that I think I get more than anything else is that I feel like such a badass when I do it. And like, that's the way I love to feel like that feeling just makes me I mean, literally just even saying it just makes me smile. And so I think with a lot of these other things that are falling into it, that's the thing I need to go find. And that's the thing that I, that's my value is that I am a badass. Like I have given birth three times. I have started two successful companies. There are so much more than I've done. And those things that make me feel that way, that's the feeling I get when I walk out and I think, yep, game on. Like, and that's what allows me to go conquer whatever it is, regardless of whether it's, you know, a kid having a temper tantrum or an actual legitimate logistical problem with the client or, or me feeling like, especially in being a wife, like it's, that's the part where it's hard, like being uncomfortable in my own physical body has certainly twisted that, you know, that part of my life completely. And so it's, I need to do more badassery. (laughs) Okay, here's an interesting thing there. So you just listed a series of difficulties you've overcome, like birth, like you don't, did you enjoy the birth? Or did you just feel like you badass because you finished it and you got through it? I was a badass because I got to the other side of it. (laughs) Okay, so here's the thing. We don't want you to be putting out the energy of I have to get to the other side of something. Everything has to be hard. And I define myself by how much I overcome, how many difficult things I have in my life. Because then you're just asking the universe to give you more difficult things to overcome. Now, when you're describing writing, you have that feeling, but it doesn't come through pain, even though you do a physical pain. It comes through joy. That's the shift. So if we can find those things, instead of defining your badassery from difficult, painful 
circumstances being overcome to joyful, full engagement in every moment of a process. That is a different energy. And you know what? You're totally right. It's totally different energy. And it's funny when you just said, you know, when you gave birth, like, did you, was it that you kind of got through it or did you take joy from it? And my first one, it was, I got through it. It was really difficult. And so there was definitely this piece of, I have just survived a war and I've come out the other side. But with my other two kids, it came from a completely different spot. It came from joy. There was joy. There was laughter. There was, you know, moments of, oh my God, I can't believe I agreed to do this again. Like, you know, there there was all of that. And there was this kind of lightness to both of their births. So it did come from a different place. It was like, yep, did it again. Warrior woman. Awesome. But it was more from like, I loved it. That's how I ended up with a third kid. You know, I was like, no, I'm like, bring it on again. Like, let's go. The lightness, that lightness. You just said that. And right now you feel a lot of heaviness. Yeah. Right. Physically heaviness. But what you're looking for is that light, pure pleasure that gives you that full engagement, I think is really what you love so much. Completely. I'm just sorry. I'm taking total notes right now because I'm like, yeah, lightness versus heaviness, badassery through joy. That is the stuff you're looking for. And let's drop the wardrobe. You will figure this out. You will find something in a magazine. You'll be like, I want that. <laughs> well, and I'm good. And like when I just let it all go, I, I mean, my intuition is so loud and has been so loud in me my entire life that all this other stuff is just like chatter in the way. What did you just write down? Lightness and what else? Lightness versus heaviness, full engagement, badassery through joy. Okay, so go to your wardrobe and leave everything that fits that and get rid of everything that doesn't. Just put it away in boxes. Oh my God, now I'm excited to go up into my closet. Right? Because this is what you really want. Yes. And you're hoping to get through your clothes, which you can't, but you can at least adapt these values to that. So it's at least supporting this because this is what you really want. And it's funny because like I was telling you that book, The Curated Closet, like one of her tenets that I love, which is why I gravitated toward reading her book, is that she talks very clearly on her blog and in the book about how we need to throw out the ideas of what looks good on us, given our body, like throw out these body type things that says, here's how you should dress for your body type, like all, you know, all those kinds of things. And if you love it, go for it. And it's one of those things where I think about there's a pair of pants upstairs that currently are too tight, like too tight to the point where I was about to go out for dinner and shot the button off across the room. It was not one, but all I could do was laugh because I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Like really. And in my mind, and I wore them that night, I safety pinned them together. I wore them that night and I felt great. And then I wore them a week later and my mom was visiting and she's like, you know, you really shouldn't wear those because those are too tight. Well, I like my stuff tight. Then all of a sudden the pants were cursed. And so now the pants are like dirty to me. And I'm like, nope, they're not. I'm putting them away for a little while until I can let go of that for a minute. Then they're coming back in and I'm putting them on. They looked great on me. Like, yes, they were tighter and they, they quote unquote, were too snug. Well, whatever. Yeah. You're a badass. You can do it. Exactly. And I love them. I loved them. I love the color. I love the way they feel. I love the way I love everything about them. Like I want to wear them. But instead, I put them in a closet because somebody else told me that they didn't quite fit me well. If you're fully engaged and you are fully living this joy that you're getting through these experiences, your body is going to find the right weight for itself. Yeah. You don't have to be in control of it. You don't have to be in charge of it. You just have to be fully engaged in the things that make you joyfully badass. And I literally am saying this after nine years of eating issues, totally naturally found my set point, which I was unable to do every time my ego was in charge for nine years. Or when it was able to keep it there, it was like a prison that was horrible. <laughs> it was never peaceful. So your body will find itself 
it'll sort itself out. What you really want is this full engagement because ultimately you're just consciousness poured into this vessel anyways. And the body is really like to be defining your experience by this vessel is kind of a one dimensional way of living life versus this badassery. Oh my God. I'm so limiting myself. It's crazy. And it's not even getting you what you want because if you just fully engage, your body will figure itself out. Right. And I'm hyper aware of the fact that I have a 12 year old daughter. I grew up with a dieting mom and a constantly dieting mom and a mom who I still have to put her in check because there are words that I just do not use in my house with my children that she uses. And they're generally, you know, the derogatory terms, chunky, um, I shouldn't eat that I, you know, just all those kinds of things. I'm like, they, they are so like, just knowing how I feel when I never had a weight. So it wasn't even like, it was my mom imposing her on me and how far it's carried when it was not even my reality. Like it wasn't my reality my whole life. It was this, it was her that I'm really conscious of not dumping that onto my daughter. But you're right. Like if I just live my full engaged life, that's what I want them to see with its ups, with its downs, with its twists and turns. That's what I want them to see. And you wouldn't have known that had you not had the mom that you had. No, no, not at all. It's beautiful that you're on this planet with these lessons. It's beautiful that your horse, I mean, it's unfortunate in some ways that it happened, but at the same time, look how much growth you're getting because you might not have ever even realized that this was going on. No, and I had no, I mean, I had no idea, like it, oh, yes, I would have loved to have not had such a bad accident, but in the end, I there's so much that I gained from it. I mean, even in the immediate aftermath of me being down and my family having to shift into mom can't do. I mean, I literally was on the couch with my leg above my heart for three straight weeks. It was just crazy to see. It's like, okay, number one, like how, you know, how am I living and how, what am I teaching? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let's, by the way, you just said mom can't do. And one of the themes I've seen run so strongly through your conversation is how much you've been raised to be focused on the doing level of success. So how beautiful is that for you to have this opportunity to stop defining yourself by the do? And this is what all of this is unraveling you to. You're actually learning how to be. That accident was the lead up to me actually kind of moving towards starting this process last year. It, you know, that was the, the impetus for me really starting to shift my life. And what it was is when I was laying on the couch realizing it, it wasn't me saying that. It was the people around me saying that and me constantly listening to that. It was me taking so much, like we were, like how you were talking about external and internal resistance and external, you know, and, 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 or are you guided by external reward and internal reward? And that was the moment when I realized that no, everything I'm doing is for external feedback and that's not working. That was the beginning of it. This is beautiful. This is exactly where you want to be. I know that sounds crazy to say, yeah, I want to have a, like a bum foot and 10 pounds, but this is exactly what you want. And in the end, honestly, like, I mean, I have like the other piece in my mind is the part that has always been very aware of the fact that I truly me inside of me did not focus on external things. I was taught to focus on external things. We all were. We all were. And now I'm trying to unteach. Yeah, love and approval. And this is, I said this to our person who did the relationship intention, and I'd love to share this with you too. This is your opportunity with your children because you are learning how to get your own love and approval from within you, not with from them or your mom or your husband. You have the opportunity to help your children access their own love and approval for themselves, not from you, 
but from themselves. So not pushing your love and approval on them, though you want to show that, you really want to reflect that you have that for yourself and that they can have that for themselves. So they're no longer, not no longer, but no, not going to have the same burden to bear necessarily in their future. So it's funny, like just in thinking about all that. So just last week, uh, one of the things that I wrote down was that I really wanted, even though they're, my first thought was with my 14 year old who is getting ready to prepare for high school. He'll be going to high school next year. And so he'll, he's, we've been looking at schools and all this kind of stuff. And, and I have really thought, I'm like, I need to know what it is that he wants out of his experience. Like what are his values? What are his uppercase V values? Cause I have mine for him. But that's more about mine for how I want to parent him. But I don't know what his are. Like, I think I know, but I don't know. And I thought, so I wrote down that I wanted to start kind of literally working through that, you know, the word removal that that was at the beginning of the, when we were trying to identify the values, like just how, you know, to see what they, what words they're attracted to, to what things feel good, to see where that piece is for them. And then, you know, for each of the kids do that just to sort of know. And there's a book that, if you run into any parents out there that are kind of in this process for themselves, there's a book called The Soul of Discipline. And the author is Kim John Payne. And it will align very much with anybody kind of going through this process. But what he talks about with children is the kind of three phases of parenting and three phases that kids are in, and how you as a parent need to be and the the metaphors he uses are awesome. I've used those to develop my my relationship and tension with my kids. But when the kids are younger, or when they have done wrong, and you need to go back to the beginning with an older child or a teenager, it's that you act as the governor, you're there, you know, you're kind of the stopgap, you're there, but you're you're there to help let them know what the family values are, and those kind of family boundaries, so then they can start exploring their own. Then when they get a little bit older, like preteen years, you become the gardener, you tend the garden, they have to start doing this stuff on their own, but you're there to tend it, you're there to help remove the weeds, you're there to help, you know, give them a little water, see if they need a little fertilizer, you know, you check in with them. And then when they move into their real teenage years, particularly as they're getting older, late teens, you really just serve as their guide. You are the person that they can, you know, come to and that's you're just there to kind of keep guiding them along. But one of the things he talks about is having them identify what their values are so that you can help them and remind them of what is important to them. So then when they do stray, you can say, hey, we need to check in, you know, this is what you told me was valuable to you. And I, and I see you going in a different path. Is that, are you choosing that? Or have your values changed? Or, you know, do you need to regroup and think about kind of coming back to that? It's really, really fascinating. It's amazing. If you can do that literally with everyone in your life, because what happens in society, even looking at politics, like everyone's pushing their values on everyone else. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Instead of asking each other, can I support you to live the values you have? What ends up happening often is the ego also will try to enforce our values on others and judge others based on our values. And then also often the ego will try to yeah enforce and push other people into our set of values versus can we all support each other to be different? Right. And on our own paths and our own journeys and fulfilling whatever it is that we each individually. And this, I think, also works on an intimate level with a partner. Yeah. I love this. This has been fascinating. How are you feeling right now? I'm a mess and I'm super excited about it. I love it when I get all messy. I realize that I have this one intention that really truly is an umbrella intention to me, but it's it was particularly a personal habit one. And, but the values of it are so kind of like the contradiction that you saw in my wardrobe one with that kind of considered and effortless. 
it's the same thing. My values really for my whole life are calm, tidy, messy, and full. And when I first looked at them, I'm like, they kind of go against each other. I'm like, no, they don't. So it's to have a calm and tidy home that allows me to lead a messy and full life. I love it. And it just goes back to everything, everything. And that's the same kind of principle with all these other ones is that I need to kind of think about how I can set us up to stay as calm or to, you know, so there's the this thoughtfulness that's in there. And the tidy isn't necessarily like a strict thing about keeping a clean house. It's more about keeping things in check and staying kind of in focus. And then so that we can, so I can go out and lead a really messy and full life because my, my life is messy. You know, I've got three kids, a business, a husband that travels all the time. I'm like, I literally need to be in five places at any one given moment. And I find that now crazy and humorous, whereas before it felt so like imposing and stressful, but literally just kind of coming to them like, okay, was today calm, tidy, messy, and full? Yes. Check. Done. Everyone's alive. Go to bed. It's really been something that has shifted a lot. And it was like this body stuff has come down to like the last piece that I couldn't shift. But I think this is, I think I'm there. And actually the other thing is, so you used to have all this energy going towards your clothes and it doesn't mean that you can't also put some energy there, but what came after you said, I stopped doing it. And I feel like I've lost a part of myself. And at first I was kind of thinking, yeah, we kind of lost the self care. No, it shifted to the Kundalini and the horse riding. It didn't go away. It just went to something more important to you and more engaging. So perhaps calm and tiny could also be something you're thinking about as you go through your wardrobe. Yeah, I think so too. Because I think part of it for me is that my lifestyle and what I'm leading and the things that are important to me, like I know that it's my ego bashing and saying that like, it's this block against, you know, do I want to be wearing yoga pants all day? You know, like this, oh, well, you shouldn't be wearing yoga pants all day. Well, you know what? Why would I change? Like my life is not, the, you know, I'm not leading a life where I want to come home, change clothes and go back out. Like that's not where I want to spend my time. There you go. Give yourself that permission, right? How many people get hated on for the yoga pant thing? And if you're going to the horseback riding, you're living a badass life and you're feeling fully engaged. Why are we hating on yoga pants? Yeah, I don't know. Right? I'm not saying that people should or shouldn't. I'm just saying, let's look at that as a limiting belief that is putting people. And but at the same time, it could be people holding themselves back from trying to fully engage in their lives, right? And that is certainly not what I'm doing, right? Exactly. You're fully engaging in your life. And this is a part of the literal situation that you're a part of to be fully engaged with your horses and to be doing all the things that bring you joy. Yeah. Oh, this is so cool. (laughs) Good. I'm so excited for you. And I'm so glad we got to the deeper root. This other stuff will fall into place. It totally does. Like, And it even shifts things in so many ways. I go back and forth between being, you know, really positive and really kind of, you know, forward moving and then just filled with all these limiting beliefs. Like I feel like I can be the queen of that. But now I feel like I have something to go back to that I can just, you know, repeat. And I'm good with words. And so it's one of those things that I've found a lot of the ladders for me need to be quotes that I need to read or things I need to repeat to myself. I've been doing the I love and approve of Eugenia in the mirror, which is the most awkward and uncomfortable thing to do, but it's getting easier. It's getting better, right? Getting better. I got annoyed with it, which is is a shift for me out of awkward. So I was like, oh, that's so annoying that I have to say this to myself. It, it was kind of, I caught myself and I thought, why am I in a place where I have to say this? And then not from a resistance piece, but like, why am I feeling so down that I need to keep saying this to myself? And then I thought, oh, well, I'm clearly making progress because now I'm not feeling like I can't look at myself in the mirror. You know, now I'm looking and thinking, I shouldn't have to feel like this. I should feel great. <laughs> like, Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. I remember looking in the mirror after I went through my eating issues and like the shift in how I saw my body was totally different and no longer and it picked on certain body parts and had judgments about them. It just saw a body. And it was at that time when I first made that shift, it was 20, 25 pounds heavier than I am now. And I could see that it didn't need as much that as was on it, but I no longer looked at it as, oh, my thighs or oh, my butt or any of that. And then it's been interesting because as my body did sort itself out, the body parts were no longer my focuses and no longer did I carry weight in those areas in the same way that I ever did the rest of my life when I was focused on them. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And it's one of those things that I feel like it's one of those moments where I hear me repeating my childhood. So it makes me angry when I repeat because it's the, it's one of those things that you know I've chosen. I mean, obviously with any parenting, you take what you love from your childhood and you try to leave the things you didn't like that. But you know, sometimes those creep back in. And I realized like, my kids, I don't think more than twice this entire summer saw me in a swimsuit. Like I didn't go in the pool. I didn't go anywhere. And honestly, it's ridiculous. Like it's just stupid. But I grew up with a mom. I have zero pictures of my mother because she refused to have a photo taken. There are no pictures of me that are like other than like ones that other people have snapped. Like I have not posed for a picture with my kids. Part of it is the mom side that I'm the one with the phone and the camera most of the time. But like, it's not out of convenience. It's out of me not wanting the picture out there. And I thought that's my mom, like I'm repeating it. But yet, that serves no purpose in my life. Like that serves zero purpose. It's the opposite of the way I want to feel. Yeah, it's interesting. You could be a badass and schedule a family photo session. Well, I have. I just scheduled a session with my daughter and my horse. I'm like, no, I want a really awesome, really cool picture where I look. And I think, yep, there we are. Yeah. I love it. I'm so excited for you. And just give yourself all that empathy. Oh, God, I suck at that, but I'm trying. (laughs) I know, right? I could give it to everybody else, just not to me. Okay, so when it comes to that, So I've been thinking a lot about how we're all connected and like one of the ways for me to really connect to that idea of we're all connected is that I think of us as like the human race as a body and we're all cells of that human race being the body. So if we're all connected in that way and when you're giving all the other cells, all this approval, all this love, all this permission to be human, why would you not give your own cell of this giant human body the same grace you give every other cell? It sometimes helps me kind of check it and say, because it's so easy for the ego to say, but I'm different, either better or worse than other people. But if you look at it as just a cell, that's all the same. Why would you not do it for yourself? Because you're not helping the whole body. It makes no logical sense. No, none at all. Oh, so good. Okay, keep us posted on how this goes for you. But I'm so glad you're going to go find ways to fully engage in badassery and joy. Oh, I will. I'm going to go be a badass right now and go get my horse. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. All right. Thanks so much.